It's the truth about money on KFI AM 640. I'm Rick Edelman here with Brandon Corso and Isabel Barrow here this holiday shopping Sunday. I know it's not a holiday weekend, but it's... You can't hold back your excitement. We're getting there. I know. It's 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 that wonderful time of the year, so the song says. Um <laughs> Although Jean hates listening to Christmas music. What? She thinks most of it is just such the downer. It's just so, just sad, slow songs. And I'm like, not all of them are. I mean, Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town is awesome. It is. What about Jingle Bells? Come on. Um, Yeah, well, it's an ongoing conversation in our house. So welcome to the program. Rick Edelman here with Brenda Bell in the studio, Isabel Barrow, Brandon Corso. The big subject, of course, this week are taxes. And no, we're not going to talk about it because... We're still waiting for the final legislation to come out of Congress. Yes, the Senate has passed a tax bill, but they now have to reconcile with the House in order for us to figure out what the bill is going to be. You can be certain that here on the program in the next couple of weeks, once the bill has been finalized and signed into law, we will tell you what it means for you, what you need to do about it, either by December 31 or well into next year for 2018 tax planning. But there's nothing worthwhile to talk about yet, despite the fact so many in the media are talking about it. It's driving me crazy. They keep talking about this thing. They don't know what they're talking about. And they're like, well, this is what it means, you know, if. Well, why don't we just wait for the when? And, you know, we don't want to confuse you. We don't want to preoccupy you. So we'll get to it in the next couple of weeks. What we do want to talk about is the fact that, yes, it is the holiday season, But just as Gene doesn't want to really listen to Christmas music, there are an awful lot of Americans who don't want to deal with any of this at all. (laughs) Right. The holidays are here and, you know, you're probably shopping and setting up, decorating and maybe figuring out your travel to see your family or invite them here. But for a third of us, the holidays are so stressful that they would rather just skip it altogether. And a lot of that stress is because of money. They don't want to spend or can't afford to spend on gifts. And you know, some of that may be related to the debt they're still paying off from last year's holiday, right? So more than half of holiday shoppers last year took on credit card debt to fund their purchases. And that is frightening. Almost half of the holiday shoppers are surveyed are in credit card debt now and have not yet made a budget to figure out what they're going to do this year. And if they have made a budget, they're not sticking to it. So as we've talked about before, I think when we were talking about Black Friday, we do have some advice as to how to handle that. First of all, take a look at your cash flow and figure out how much you can spend on everyone. I think you said write down the gifts, exactly what you're buying. And and don't forget to include the wrapping paper, the shipping fees and all the other expenses that may come up. So know what you're going to buy, stick to your plan, and even better yet, Get the debit card that Rick was talking about. Put your money on the debit card. And I've been trying it this year. It's the first time. And so far, so good. So, yeah, if you put the total amount of money you're going to spend for the holidays in gift giving on a debit card and use the debit card to make all your purchases, when the debit card is zero, you're done. And it forces a discipline on you because it's not a bottomless pit like credit cards tend to be. And once it's done... It's done if you ran out of money on the debit card. Exactly. Now, we keep talking about all the people on your list that you have to buy Christmas gifts for and uh, Hanukkah gifts for and Kwanzaa gifts for, but it's not just people who need to be getting gifts. Jean is obsessing, not frankly, about the gifts she's going to get me, but the gifts that she's getting for Summer and Vicky. I was guessing that was going to be the case. Well, here, I've got some ideas for Jean then. When you put the dogs in the car, Rick, did the dogs ever jump into the front seat? Or are they pretty good about yes, staying in no, the back? No, no, they're constantly maneuvering their way up front. Okay, then enter Krugo's Auto Glass, which is a plexiglass that fits in between the two front seats and keeps those pooches in the back from mean, like touching the steering in, wheel. Like you find in taxi cabs? 
Yeah, pretty much, but it comes and goes, and so it'll be effective and probably safe. When you're away, assuming you're coming back the same day, have you ever wanted to do FaceTime with the dog? <laughs> no. Well, Jean might, and yeah. if she wants to, enter pet chats. It's digital daycare for pets that are left home alone. It comes with video interaction, games, dog TV. You can dispense treats and even aromatherapy from your phone. So the dog goes up to the iPad and talks to Gene? Well, it's the dog could see Gene, and Gene could see the dog. So I don't know how well-trained your dogs are or how much they're going to miss her, but perhaps it's going to sit right That's by the screen. That's just nuts. I mean... That's just not. I can see people doing that. You know, you have the app for the daycare. If you have your kids in daycare, you can see the yeah, video. But are... a lot of people like watch the dogs in the doggy daycare. They they sit on their computer yeah, and they watch it. But not to it. have the dog talk back to you or interact <laughs> with you. Yeah, That's... that one's a little weird. I've got one more for you. If you're going to go out of town and you're not going to drive, you're going to fly, and you've got to put the dogs in a crate, Snoozer produces a space-aged pet crate liner made from NASA-developed Outlast fabric material that helps control the pet's temperature during the flight. To keep the pet warm. They're wow. luggage. Yeah. I'm willing to bet you guys are never going to take your pets and put them down below. No. No, Jean would never do that. <laughs> wow. She would do that to me. She would never do that. She would never do that to the dogs. In addition to presents for the animals, there are other expenses we incur uh, for the holidays, and that's decorating the home. And a big mainstay in everybody's living room is the tree. The Christmas tree. That's right. It's the, it's the gifts, it's the foods, the decorations, but a big one is the tree. And I don't know about, about anyone else out there, but I already got my tree, and I paid a lot more for it this year. And if you haven't gotten yours yet, be prepared to spend more and... Well, have a smaller selection. Well, like, like how much more? For, I don't, I don't, we don't buy a tree. So how much does a tree cost? So a tree last year, 2016, the average tree was around 75 bucks. But wow. in 2008, it was only about 36 bucks. So every year since the Great Recession, it's got about 10% more and more expensive. Why? Well, so prices, like I said, prices have been rising for a while. Back in 2008, what happened was because fewer people were buying trees. Because of the recession. Because of the recession. You know, people didn't want to spend the money on the tree. So there were fewer trees cut down. So growers they, they, haven't planted as much. And so it, we're feeling the effects of the 2008 credit crisis even now in that illustration of Christmas trees. Right, exactly. So now, And let's all, also keep in mind, you know, I'm a big opponent of Christmas trees in the house simply because there's such a fire hazard. Yeah. I mean, this thing, you know what we do every year? I don't know if I should mention this on the air, but every year we go to all the neighbors, we tell them all, they're well used to this now, not to throw out their Christmas trees. That's what you do, right? You just throw it to the curb? Right. No, we collect the Christmas trees. Oh, you trees. take them and what? burn them? Yeah, we take them out back to our fire pit, and it's the most amazing thing. Now, is it for the aroma, or? it's No, it's because I'm a pyromaniac. <laughs> You take, you take the tree, you put in, first of all, you've got to be really safe with this. We've got a really good fire pit and it is safe. And keep in mind that burning trees is not legal in all areas around the country. So before you try to do what Gene and I talked about, uh, make sure that you check with your local fire department and uh, make sure you have marshmallows on standby. All you do is you just take a match and light a tiny little piece of twig on the tree, 
and in 10 seconds, this thing just is totally ignited, like Burning Man. This yeah. thing <laughs> just goes up. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my lord, this was in someone's house for two weeks with electric lights hanging from it, with a, a tied to an outlet where the dog and the cat are running by or the five-year-old playing, I mean... Who on earth would put this kindling in their house like this? You and Jean do. <laughs> no. Uh, and we do. Well, you do. We, a fake tree. Oh, is the way you go to fake. Go. Okay. These days, fake trees, they're indistinguishable. You cannot yeah. tell that it's Agreed. fake. Agreed. Agreed. And it just scares me to death that people are still putting. So, do you got any statistics on the co- of what happens to people with you know the fire? implications of this christmas tree fires have caused approximately 16 million dollars in damage every year and i think you're talking about a little bit more than just damaging the the room or god forbid the whole house but the family and so if you've got a christmas tree we put up live ones our kids like the whole process about going and getting them putting it on top of the car i can't take that from them but we're careful one we water it a lot and we don't leave the lights on so if you leave the house and when you go to bed, make sure the lights go off. Yeah, I'm glad you think that's going to solve it. One other thing you should consider when you're getting your tree is make sure that you know the height of your ceilings, because this year I also poked a hole in my ceiling. <laughs> now, <laughs> pretty embarrassing. A, there's an insurance claim. You poked a hole in the ceiling? Yeah, yeah. Poked a hole in the ceiling. That's a big, strong tree. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay, so there's our latest advice for you. Buying presents for pets, dealing with your Christmas tree, and frankly, just doing what a third of Americans do, which is just frankly skipping the whole thing. By the way, if you are looking for something to do this holiday season, turn to your local public television station because my public television special, The Truth About Retirement, is airing as encore presentations. We produced this program for public television last year. They've decided to re-air the program this Christmas, and it's running around the country on public television stations throughout the month of December. Check your local public television station for daytimes, uh, when it's going to air in your market. And we've also produced a new special for public television called The Truth About Your Future, based on my New York Times business bestseller of the same title. And both of these programs are airing on public TV all around the country. Check local listings. And there's a particular benefit to you. Brandon, tell everybody about it. If you want to donate to your local PBS station, $240, and you can do that in $20 monthly increments, we will waive our financial planning fee, which is typically $800, to get the full boat financial plan. And so if you have an interest in donating to the PBS station that you like to view, you can also get a financial plan, but at a much lower cost to you. And even if you don't want to donate to the public television station because you don't like them, but you do want the financial plan, well, then it still works out. So whether you like public television or not, if you want to take full advantage of the financial plan that we can provide to you, instead of paying us $800, Donate 240 to them, and you'll get the financial plan either way. So we're very excited and happy to do this because we do like to support public television, and we do like to support your financial education, which is our goal in getting these uh, TV specials on the air. And we do want to provide you with a financial planning process as well. So everybody wins. Uh, so uh, take full advantage of that before the year is out, and uh, we're happy to uh, have you do that. Stay with us.
The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Do not use the show's content as the basis for any investment decisions. Instead, consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick Edelman is an investment advisor representative of Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor which furnishes this program and also a registered principal of EF Legacy Securities and affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Let's get the latest from the KFI Newsroom. This is KFI AM 640. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. Brenda Bell's in the studio to help me out with them, and we're heading off to DeKalb, Illinois, in uh, Chicagoland. Ronald, welcome to the program. How are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Thanks for taking my call. We're happy to do it. What can we do for you today? I'm uh, curious about my status uh, with a with a couple of pensions. I worked for a uh, manufacturing company, and it started out as Company A, and then uh, they sold half of uh, the site at which I worked. Uh, to a foreign company, which is actually owned by a foreign government. The foreign government then bought the second half, and they fully own Company C. The company is owned by a foreign government, so it gets a little entangled here. And the foreign government is in a shambles. The country's in a shambles. And I saw the uh, foreign government just manage to make a bond payment at the last moment. Very large, hundreds of millions of dollars. So I'm wondering, you know, in this precarious position, what's going to happen to me if they were to default on a bond issue? Well, it's not defaulting on the bond issue that's going to have any direct impact on you. The real question is whether they can afford to make the payments due you once you retire and begin collecting pension benefits. That's the real key. And so what you might want to do is talk with your HR department to ask them that very question. Uh, and talk about the likelihood that the pension benefits might not get paid or they might get delayed or they might get reduced. That's really the key. Unfortunately, you're not in control of any of this, regardless of what their answer is, whether they give you a you know, wonderful story that, oh, don't worry, everything's fine, or they tell you the blatant, terrible news that, oh, my goodness, your pension's at risk. Either way, there's not a lot that you can do about it. Um, but, Brandon, perhaps you can talk about what happens in the worst-case scenario, the company fails to pay the pension benefits that he's due. Yeah, so the caveat Ron is asking about with the company now being foreign-owned is what's going to make it a little bit more complicated. But in this country, if a defined benefit pension plan goes bankrupt, those plans that pay a monthly amount once you're retired, there's a government agency that steps in. It's called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp., the PBGC. They have a good website. And it was created in the 1970s in this country because there was a number of bankruptcies. Rick, you wrote about it in The Truth About Money. The Studebaker automaker went bankrupt, and all these workers all of a sudden didn't have a paycheck. So until the 70s, there wasn't a insurance, if you will, and so that's what the PBGC covers. And so there are limits based on is it a single-employer pension plan or multi-employer plan, what age do you retire but when companies go bankrupt, that's what steps in. So, Ron, I can understand why you're a little bit nervous when you look at the employer's health. There's precedent for what you're asking. So if you go to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp. website and you Google Metadyne, this was a case where there was a foreign company that bought a U.S. company. It later went bankrupt, and then it tried not to honor the pension plan. So it went through a court case, and the PBGC won. And the court basically said, look, when you acquired the company, you acquired the pension plan. So, but Ron, the fact that a foreign government is partially the owner or the owner of this foreign corporation, 
makes it hard for us to tell you definitively if they go bankrupt that you can be sure that your plan is going to be insured. How much is the income from the annuity you're receiving? Oh, it's uh, $1,200 a month from Company C and um, $900 a month from Company B. Okay. And so I like Rick's idea of reaching out within your company because I'm sure other people have asked this question. They should have answers. You can also go to that website I told you about, and it will show you if your plan is insured. They have a nice search box. You can type in your company, and you will hopefully see it pop up and know that, as of right now, that it's insured by the PBGC. If it is insured, uh, how do does the PBGC determine what my payments will be after they have uh, acquired this uh, this plan. So it's going to be based on a percentage of what you were receiving from company, in this case, uh, companies uh, C and D, uh, as well as your age, and probably a high likelihood that it's going to be less than what you were receiving now. So there is a formula. Uh, you can look at it on the website. There is also a maximum annual allowed. I think you're under the maximum with the amounts that you've um, described here, but it is probably likely to be some percentage of what you were receiving, not the full amount. All right. Well, thanks for your help. You're very welcome. We hope it all works uh, out for you very nicely. And it's just another example why we tell folks that if you are working for an employer that offers a pension, you must not assume that your retirement planning needs are solved because you're not in control of the pension. You don't know what the fortunes of war are going to be, sometimes literally there. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know if that employer is going to honor the promise to give you the money that they tell you you're going to receive. So you need to save for your retirement as though the pension doesn't exist. Whether that pension is being promised by the employer or by your union or by a government agency, you need to act as though the pension does not exist. Otherwise, you could be finding yourself in retirement with empty promises. Hope that's helpful. If you need assistance with this, calculating, okay, I didn't know I was going to have this pension issue. Now I do. What do I do about it? Call us, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Last week, we brought you the survey results from CB Insights. They're doing a bracket challenge. What stock, if you could only own one and you had to hold it for 10 years, what stock would you want to invest in? This bracket is continuing over... 350,000 votes so far at cbinsights.com. Most of them are technologists and financial services executives. There will be several other rounds as we get through the brackets, and we'll bring you those results in weeks to come. Here's what uh, you two tell me what you think. Which would you choose? If you had to buy one stock and hold it for 10 years, would it be Microsoft or Lockheed Martin? Microsoft. Microsoft. And that's what the vote was. Nike or Salesforce? Salesforce. I'll go Nike. Salesforce was the preferred choice. Netflix or Samsung? Samsung. Netflix. They chose Netflix. Walmart or Spotify? Walmart. Walmart. Walmart was, in fact, the choice. Citigroup or SpaceX? Ooh, Ooh. SpaceX. SpaceX. They both chose SpaceX. General Electric or PayPal? PayPal. PayPal. PayPal was the choice. And finally, Amazon or Tencent? Amazon. What's the other one? 
Tencent. A lot of folks won't even know what that is. Tencent is one of the largest internet providers in China. I'll try that. They chose Amazon. Wow. Of course they did. So the reason I'm citing all of this is, no, not that you should be going and buying these stocks. That's not the message at all that we're conveying here, because we, of course, don't endorse the notion of buying individual stocks, nor should you have to make big butts with your investments. No, the point here is much more broad and philosophical. The concept here is very simple. You want to make sure your overall investment strategy is focused on the future and not on the past. Don't simply choose a company or a strategy because you're familiar with the name or they've had a history of success in the past. Call us and let us help. 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com. This is The Truth About Money. Stay with us. Let's get the latest from the KFI Newsroom. This is KFI AM 640. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. In the studio with me is Brenda Bell, Brandon Corso, and Isabel Barrow. I want to ask the two of you a question. Uh, we know that there are uh, a good several million veterans in this country, and we know that the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration both do an awful lot to provide services and support to uh, members of our military in need. How many nonprofit organizations would you say there are in this country that are devoted to serving military members and veterans? How many, Brandon? Wow. Uh, thousands and thousands, 10, 20,000 maybe? Isabel? 5,000? Uh, the number shocked me, and to share with you the actual number, uh, I'm happy to welcome to the program Christina Kaufman. Christy is the co-founder and executive director of Code of Support Foundation. Christy, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so, Christy, what is the answer to that question? How many nonprofit organizations are there devoted to serving the military? Approximately 44,000. I find that number astonishing, uh, that there are so many. And I would imagine that one of the challenges is that many people are unaware of the existence of many of these, and there isn't a lot of coordination between them. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I think that that's a problem in the veteran support space, and I think that's just a problem in general. If we don't have a, an issue with lack of information in the society anymore. It's trying to figure out how to navigate through it. But it's really difficult, particularly for military veteran families uh, who are in some kind of crisis, uh, to be able to navigate through all of those to find the resources that they need. Um, and I think it's also difficult for donors uh, to be able to, to select the ones that, that you know, they think are worth the investment. So I think it's just a very challenging and fragmented space. And so this is why you worked with Major General Alan Salisbury uh, in the development and creation of the Code of Supports Foundation. So, so talk about what motivated you to participate in this and what it is that the Code of Support Foundation does. So what motivated me was I had an experience, I had a great timing of marrying a soldier right before 9-11. Uh, so I went from Berkeley, California, to Lawton, Oklahoma, which I always say was a culture shock for me and for Oklahoma. And then <laughs> a war started a couple a couple months later. And so I had this whole 11-year experience as a military wife and, and saw the impact that it was having not just on the soldiers but the family members. 
and being one of the um, people uh, responsible for finding resources for those family members, I just realized that it was almost an impossible task. Uh, and so that when I met General Salisbury uh, in 2011, uh, we, we committed to each other that he's a Vietnam veteran, that we wouldn't let what happened to his generation of veterans happen to mine. Uh, and the only way really to address this this you know, this problem of so many nonprofits was to create a national nonprofit that was dedicated to integration of effort in what has become a very fragmented space. And so that's really what the core of Code of Support does. Uh, we have a case coordination uh, program where we have veteran and caregiver peer navigators that work directly with troops, veterans, and families across the country, identify, assess, and prioritize their often multiple needs. As we all know, people don't come in pretty little boxes. And there is no one organization that does it all, not the VA, not some of the larger organizations. It's impossible. And so if you're one of these veterans in crisis, as navigating through that is, is really um, not possible. And so these case coordinators, veteran peer navigators, that's what they do. They take on that entire family and make sure that they're covering down with all the needs, whether it's financial, benefits, transportation, legal, employment, education, all of these things, mental health. And in order to do that, they have to tap into organizations and agencies across the country, thousands and thousands of them out there. Uh, and so they have to pick through these and, uh, and get the ones that would fit not just, but not just that uh, need, but that eligibility criteria. And so you created through the Code of Support Foundation uh, something called Patriot Link. Explain what that does. Right. So we discovered for every one need we identified, um, and our average client has four, our veteran peer navigators had to go to eight organizations to find the one that would fit that particular need and eligibility. And that's 20 hours a week on research just for one client, and that's not scalable. So we knew that there had to be a technology portion to the solution. It doesn't solve the whole thing. You need human beings to use the technology and to populate it. But we, we created Patriot Link, which is a cloud-based resource navigation platform for the people who are working directly with this um, at-risk population. So we received a million-dollar grant from the Bristol-Myers Squibb Foundation that's allowed us to start piloting the platform with organizations and agencies across the country. So basically what we're doing, Rick, is we're scaling our coordinated model of care by using a technology platform that we are placing in lots of different organizations and agencies. So theoretically, there should be a no-wrong door. So if you're a veteran that calls an organization that only does employment but you need mental health, instead of saying, no, I'm sorry, we don't do that, they can use Patriot Link, quickly find the exact resource or resources that would fit that need and get that veteran to the right space. How many veterans are we talking about who are in need of services of these types? So there are 22 million veterans in the United States. Nine million are enrolled in the VA. Six million are receiving health care. So you look at of that 22 million, we're estimating based on different sources that about 30% of that 2 million or 22 million is it has some kind of crisis that in, that is going to um, involve some kind of uh, intervention, right? Seven or and eight million even, people. Yeah, and that's not even counting the military and veteran family members. What people don't realize is when you leave the service, if you're a service member and you leave the service. You might be covered by the VA for health care, but your family is not, 
right? So you have spouses and children if that veteran's not working, you know, so this gets into the whole discussion of ACA. And if that goes away, this is a very at-risk population because deployments and what they come home with, um, some of these soldiers, that is something they, they live with forever, right? So living with someone with a mental health condition or a traumatic brain injury or a physical injury, they become caregivers. And so there's a lot of stress in that community, uh, and it's, it's pretty underserved and because the VA is just not, um, not providing services for that community. So those nonprofits are a lifeline. You know, of of for these for this population, and you mentioned, of course, that the Code of Support itself as, as, is a foundation, is a nonprofit organization. That, and you mentioned that you received a million dollar grant from Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, what what other funding sources do you have, and and are you uh, actively seeking donations and support to execute your mission? <laughs> yeah, like most nonprofits uh, and growing businesses, we're all always looking for additional funding. Uh, the million-dollar grant from the Myers Squibb Foundation was a game-changer for us and really allowed us to move to a much more capable developer for PatriotLink, but we also have this case coordination program. Uh, we are far too reliant on large grants right now. We're trying to diversify our funding stream, very similar to when people are investing. They, you know, you want to try to have a diversified portfolio. It's the same thing for a nonprofit, right? So our favorite, you know, form of income is unrestricted. Right, so we can decide how best to use that money, and typically that's coming from our individual donors. Uh, and so, whether they be sustaining donors of twenty bucks a month, which is what we're always looking for to build up um, that capability of, of people who who really trust in our efforts and are willing, you know, to do a monthly donation to major donors. Uh, and so, we're always looking for ways to grow our own list. Um, and, and have more people to be able to speak to and cultivate um, in terms of donations. There has been a massive change in attitude uh, among Americans over the last couple of decades. As uh, you mentioned that uh, General Salisbury noted, the attitude that we had about uh, soldiers fighting in Vietnam was very different than the attitude we have today about our men and women serving in the military. And people very much want to uh, thank our members of the military and veterans and demonstrate support for them by donating to worthwhile organizations. And so if somebody here in the holiday season focusing on year-end gift-giving and philanthropy and charity did want to make a donation to the Code of Support Foundation, how would they get in touch with you, Christy? You know, the easiest way to do it is just to go to our website, codeofsupport.org, and then there's a big donate button right on the uh, the home page, and they can also look at some of our programmings. We have some terrific, you know, video testimonials from, from veterans and family members that we've worked with so they can get a sense of really where that money is going. I mean, we really look at, you know, nonprofit as a tax status, right? This is a business in the sense that my donors are my investors, and my investors expect an ROI. And it's not necessarily profit, money profit, but we need to be able to show them impact. We need to be able to show them numbers on how many people we're helping. Are there a long-term outcomes better? You know, th those are the type of things that I as a I have a responsibility to do is anybody's donating code of support, being able to show them the impact that we're having. And I think our website does a pretty good job of that with, um, with some of the numbers in the video. So our effort here on the program is to help 
our audience uh, figure out best ways to use their money uh, that they have mm -hmm. worked so hard to accumulate. And that's why we like periodically to bring to the attention of our audience uh, organizations that we feel are worthy of their consideration for charitable and philanthropic activities. And so we're very happy to be able to have you on the program with us today. Uh, so that was uh, Christina Kaufman, who is the co-founder and executive director of Code of Support Foundation. And if you are interested in learning more about them and considering potentially uh, contributing to them in their efforts to serve America's veterans, or if you are a veteran or if you are a family member of a veteran and feel that you might need services, go to codeofsupport.org and uh, see how they might be able to assist you and how you might be able to assist them. Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks so much, guys. Happy holidays. To you, too. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. Stay with us. We'll be back. Let's get the latest from the KFI Newsroom. This is KFI AM 640. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Brandon Corso and Isabel Barrow in the studio with me. Taking your telephone calls, we're heading off to Coral Springs, Florida. Art is on the program with us. How you doing, Art? Hey. What can we do for you? Well, I, uh, I'm in a kind of unusual situation. I was able to retire at 30 years with a company, and uh, so my generation had a pension. So I actually have a six-figure pension that kind of kicked in, and I was offered an opportunity to retire last year at 57 and a half, so I went ahead and took that. During my career, I also was promoted to have a second pension that isn't as guaranteed as the first one, and that was a retention pension. And the goal there was for you to stick around with the company until 59 and a half or 60, unless there was an opportunity to leave earlier, which in my case, they moved both pensions up, reduced them a little bit, so I've got pretty good cash flow as a retired guy at, at 58. I also had an opportunity to uh, defer some income, and that's why I'm calling. Uh, I deferred some base salary back in 2000, 2003, and I was guaranteed you know, nine and a half percent compounded, and eight and a half percent compounded. That grew very nicely, and it became a you know, three hundred fifty thousand dollar lump sum that I got this calendar year. I've got a four hundred one k that I converted to an IRA. That's probably seventy percent stock, thirty percent bonds because. I don't really see needing the money uh, for the reasons I just told you with the pensions and all that. So I've, I've got that split of 70-30 stocks, not anticipating having to do anything until I have to at 70 and a half. And so what's your question? Uh, well, what do I do with uh, 350? And I actually have a little bit more because I also had a 10-year annuity that I put deferred income to. So I've got like $500,000 sitting in a bank right now uh, making 1.2%. I've got money in the stock market uh, because I've got my 401ks I made reference to and another deferral that I have as well that uh, pays me on a, on a yearly basis. So I've got about $3.5 million in the market right now. I don't necessarily want to do more of that. I've been approached about looking at a REIT, probably not commercial, but maybe residential. So I'm just kind of trying to find out. I don't want to be overly conservative because I've got a pretty good cash flow coming in right now. I want to be a little bit more aggressive with the money without taking you know, silly risks because I don't have to. Isabel? So just kind of going back to what you originally stated, your income and cash flow is good based on these two pensions. Am I correct in that, Art? Correct, yeah. And I've got, like I said, there's a, there's a second opportunity that was deferred variable income that I created a 10-year annuity, mm -hmm. and that pays me another you know, eight or 10 grand a month. I've got two properties that I own and don't have a lien on, 
So that generates another four or five grand. So I'm in the mid-30s on a monthly basis if you kind of annualize it. Okay. Now, one of those annuities is going to end in nine years, but by that time I'll be in Social Security and getting close to, you know, to 70 and a half anyway. I'll be 67 or 68. So the cash flow is good, and I certainly don't anticipate anything going wrong with that uh, okay. because they're pretty guaranteed. Okay, great. But that... Ten-year annuity you said was about ten or twelve thousand dollars a month, and so your social security is not likely to be anywhere near that. One of the main no, correct yeah, social security is just noise. Actually, one of the other questions I had was, I was thinking in my case, just taking as soon as I can because I'm just going to use it to pay taxes. My tax bracket is not going to change. Okay. Uh, I'll be at the 30 and a half or whatever the higher bracket is for the next nine or 10 years. Right, yeah, you're, you're not likely to have a major uh, tax break. So I think what the main question is whether or not you really need to be worrying about this at all because it sounds like you have a, a strong, steady, secure income stream that's covering all of your expenses. You have money in the bank to uh, cover any emergencies. At $500,000 should be uh, enough to cover a lot of emergencies. Uh, you have $3.5 million in the market invested in IRAs and other income th- things that uh, investments that can produce income in the future. So Correct. the I guess the question in my mind is let's just determine first and foremost what are your expenses art if you have $30,000 of income coming in how much are you spending? Uh, probably in the 12 to 15,000. dollars So the guy's got 30 uh, grand a monthly income he's spending 12 of it. Art what the hell are you worrying about? <laughs> well, I mean I, I don't want to be conservative with the 500. I'd want to take a little bit more risk. Why? I'm- Silly. Why? Well, because I'm making 1.2%. So what? What's the purpose of investing, Art? To grow, yeah, to grow, to to To, secure in the future. To accomplish what goal? To kind of do whatever I want, I guess. That would be the goal. But you already are able to do everything that you want, right? I I know, which is why I started by telling you I'm in a pretty good position. Exactly. But I feel foolish making 1% in the bank right now. You mean you're being foolish by being able to do whatever you want for as long as you live? That's foolish? Uh... That's, with the 500, I guess, that's what I'm Art, saying. That's the American dream. You're living the American dream. You have achieved financial success. You get the applause of the day. Congratulations. You've done a fabulous job. What you don't want to do is blow it. What you don't want to do is risk the lifestyle that you have worked so hard to create for yourself. So... Sure, we could suggest that you take the money since it's a missed opportunity, which is really your point, that you could be earning more on this half a million dollars than you are. But let's face it, you know what happens in the stock market. Prices could go down. Instead of earning 1.2, you could lose 20% of it. So why take more risk with your money than is necessary to achieve your goals? Well, that's, that's, that's really why I was calling. I mean, I've kind of pinched myself mode because all these things kind of happen very quickly. So. All right, this didn't happen very quickly. You spent a whole lifetime getting to this well, point. Well, 30 years, correct. Yeah. yeah, you're an overnight success after 30 years, just like the Beatles <laughs> yeah. were. So exactly right. So good for you. So yes, we could certainly look at your portfolio and help you figure out ways to tweak it to create greater efficiency and effectiveness. Sure, we could certainly do all that, and we would love to. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should feel foolish about the fact that you have a half a million dollars in a bank earning 1.2. Okay. Well, no, I know you've got an office in Boca Raton, so I'll reach out and, and, and kind of set up an appointment. Because, like I said, the first thing first was I once this happened, it happened quickly. Yeah. I put everything in a very conservative mode, and now I'm just kind of looking back and saying, what's the smarter thing to do? And these REITs came up. There's some risk with those as well, especially if it's commercial. 
And that was kind of what I was looking at there. Brandon, does it make any sense for Art to invest in REITs with this money at this point? Absolutely not. And it seems as if, Art, you're in great shape, but part of financial planning is asking yourself what can go wrong, and we need to go through all the different things that might. In other words, you've got a couple pensions they are really large. Can they stop paying you? Who's the payer? Are they insured? Do you have a wife? If you die, does it continue to her? And so, but I wouldn't look at this payout that happened in 2017 and say, hey, do I buy REITs? Or, hey, do I leave it in bank CDs? I'd sit down and do a complete financial plan and do it goals-based. I mean, you've done a great job laying out all the different things that you've accumulated, but we really haven't talked that much other than I'm kind of doing anything I want, which is great, but I want to talk more specifically about that. And again, like I hinted to what can go wrong, and in the context of an overall financial plan, we'll talk about how your money's invested, not just the piece that came in 2017, because if you ignore all the other stuff, it doesn't make sense holistically. And we'll figure out what's the right allocation for that piece and this piece and that piece and all the pieces that you've accumulated. We're very impressed with you. You've accomplished an awful lot. You're in fabulous condition. Our goal would be to help make sure you keep it that way. You know, you've spent a whole life climbing the mountain. You've reached the top of the mountain. If you don't stop climbing, you're going to fall off the other side. So we want to keep you at the top of the mountain where you've worked so hard to get and where you deserve to be. And so I'm really glad you're going to reach out to us at our Boca Raton office so that we can help go through that process with you and give you the peace of mind that you seek. Great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, Art. I'm Rick Edelman with Brenda Bell in the studio with me. Triple Eight Plan Rick online at ricedelman.com.